We're starting a new series today, and I'm calling it Jesus Rules. We're going from the book of Mark, and we're going to be taking something out of almost every chapter there each week we come together. Love the Bible. You know, you've got to be in the Bible because that's where we find balance as Christians. Think of uh, what an unbalanced load does to a washing machine. Think about what it does, guys, for your tires uh, on your car. If they're unbalanced, they wear out faster. We all have a certain emphasis we like. Some are love, some is truth. Uh, you know, there's holiness in others. What, but but if, we, if we don't have the balance of the word, we get too focused on our one thing we like the most, and we end up messing things up for everybody else, not just ourselves. We have to be in the word on a regular basis because it brings balance to our Christian lives and we look more and more like Jesus when we stay in the word. And that is part of our emphasis here, to teach out of the Bible so people can know who God is and what Jesus is like and to encourage people to be in it every day for themselves because it makes such a difference. So let's start in Mark 1.16. I'm calling this sermon today, Fishing for People. It says, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore, of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. So here's guys that do this every day of their lives. They go to work, they're doing it for a living, not just for fun, and their lives are about to change because Jesus says something to them. I'm praying that today lives will change here because Jesus says something to people. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you to come right now. Lord, we know that you are real and your presence is tangible. And we know we're not just messing around today, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is here. And so, Lord, I pray you'd speak to each of our hearts. You're so amazing. You can say a different message to every heart in the same service, the one we need. So have your way, Jesus, and speak to us that we might be changed and more like you. I pray it in your name. Amen. Jesus said something to them that I think he would say to us too. Let's look at a few things he said to these guys as he met them on the banks of that lake that day. The first thing he said to them was, come follow me. Jesus called out to them. Sounds like they're out a little bit away from him. And he said, come follow me. Now, before Jesus came to this earth, a relationship with God was somewhat ethereal, at least more ethereal, maybe even a little scary, not quite as personal. But Jesus came to walk with us on this earth, to walk with people. God had never come down like that in such a tangible way before because even though Jesus is the Son of God, we know that in the Bible, he's a member of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is God. And he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus comes to these guys in a way God has never come down before and he says, hey, I want you to walk with me. Come follow me. I think he says that to us today, to you. Come follow me. I'm not very fond of the word Christian these days. Um, It's not used much in the Bible and unbelievers first said it uh, about believers. It's just a term they gave. We call them Christians because it means Christ-like. So, I don't mean to do any damage to that term. I I, I like Christians, but it doesn't mean much to people these days. 
I mean, you're Christian like you're American. You were raised in a home somewhere. You don't go to church. You don't follow Jesus. And people say, yeah, I'm a Christian just because it's just a tag they take. Well, that's not what it's supposed to mean. It means a Christ follower. So I'm more, I'm more into that thought these days. Not are you a Christian, but are you a person who is following Christ? Are you a Christ follower? Because that's not what a lot of people mean when they say Christian. And this call that he gives when he says, follow me, is basically saying, come, come with me, you guys. I'm gonna talk to you. I'm gonna fellowship with you. I'm gonna commune with you. I'll even show you which way to go for your life. And I believe he would say that to us today. Come follow me. Don't just sit in a service and hear about me. Don't just believe what that guy up there is saying about me. Let me talk to you personally. Let me walk with you. I was sitting with a, um, a man who's thinking about putting his kid in the high school <clears throat> This week, and he was asking me about my thoughts about the high school. And you know, I'm into academics, and I, th- I think it's, it's really good, but I, I had to tell him my main purpose for everything we do around here, not just the high school, but the little kids that are in those rooms right now, and children's church, and the youth group that'll meet this, this, in this place tonight. For, for me, everything comes down to this. I want people to have a personal, tender relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want them to just know about him. I would love it if they knew him. If they knew that when they walked out of here that he would whisper to their hearts. If they knew that they would really truly follow him, that he had a plan for their lives and it's just way bigger than other people giving you direction. It is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords being your friend and personally knowing you and personally giving you direction. I find it interesting that he chose fishermen. Did you know, as far as we can see, the 12 that he first chose, the 12 apostles or disciples, as the Bible says, seven of them were fishermen. That's interesting to me. Fishermen aren't educated in that culture. Um, They're they're not um, people that have great emphasis of, of intellect, with others. And yet he chose seven of the 12 who were fishermen. Oh, there was a doctor in there and there was a tax collector and, and, and others as, as well, but seven of them were unschooled, unsophisticated fishermen. And yet he knew when he chose them that they would change the world. Now, I'm not anti-education, but I, I tell you, that's, that should be encouraging to all of us because we all have reasons that we could be disqualified, right? It might not be education for you, it might be your past. You say, well, I've made so many mistakes and done so many bad things that God wouldn't want to use me, and you could disqualify yourself. Well, that's not a reason to disqualify yourself. He changes lives. He, he makes new creations. He, he causes people to be born again. He causes people to be a trophy, and And I think this is encouraging because he's saying, hey, I can use anybody as long as they have a good heart and a good mind. I think that makes all of us uh, available to be used in a great way by God because I think you have a good heart and a good mind. I like the way David McKenna, the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, said it. He wants teachable men without intellectual preconceptions or cultural mindsets that will be insurmountable barriers to truth. That's a really bright way of saying he just wants it to be simply about him 
And he wants to use people who are normal people. These fishermen, there's really good qualities about fishermen. Remember, this is their life, not, not their hobby. This is their occupation, not, not just an outing every few weeks to see if they can catch the big fish. They were simple, hardworking folks. And here's, here's the good qualities about fishermen that everybody needs to have if you're going to be a disciple for Jesus. And it might be one of the, or, or some of the reasons he chose fishermen. Fishermen are disciplined. I mean, they have to get up early, right? Usually before light. And, and, and I have some friends that worked on boats in Alaska. That's the kind of fishermen these guys were, occupational. And they slept three hours a day for several months as they were fishing on those boats and pulling those nets in. Uh, they're into teamwork. They have to work together. There's a number of them on a boat, moving nets and pulling things in and cleaning fish. And they understand discipline and hard work. And they're pretty courageous and brave. I mean, some of the settings with the weather and, and places they're at, every, every friend I have who did this in Alaska was close to death several times. They're patient. Sometimes they don't get anything, but they keep going back. They're tenacious. They just stay at it. And somehow I think those were qualities he saw in these fishermen that he said, you know what, this will work. These guys, even, even though they don't have some things people think they should have, they have all good things that I know when given to me will work in a great way. Fishermen can't afford to be quitters, right? You can't be a quitter if you're a fisherman. You gotta keep going until you get some fish. And you can't be a complainer because that, that'll just make drive everybody away. These guys had good qualities that the Lord could use in a great way. And that's good news for us. And Jesus said, I want you to leave your occupation and come follow me. And they left the nets and the boats and they went to give their lives to Jesus. Now, we know from other places in the Bible, this wasn't the first time that they had met Jesus. He'd had some interaction with these guys before. But still, to say now at this moment, come with me, and they leave and change their lives is an incredible moment. And he wanted them to walk with him and follow him, he says. Why does Jesus want us to follow him? I believe the main reason is that we, so we might know him and more accurately represent who he is. You know, you can't really know someone unless you hang out with them on a regular basis. And when you start to follow Jesus, you start to realize that he's kind and he's loving and he's gentle and he's strong. These are qualities he wants us to have. You start to realize that some of the things you do aren't really like him. And then you start to say from your heart without condemnation, man, I'd like to be a lot more like him because it seems to work out a lot better when you do it his way. And then you realize he wants to be your friend. Even when he knows how messed up you are or have been. That he'll forgive you. That he wants to be with you. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He has all things in his hands. And yet he says, hey, I'd like to hang out with you. I believe that he lives in our hearts when we follow him. question for you. Do you want to work for Jesus or do you want to work with Jesus? Because working for Jesus can be getting out ahead of him for a good cause and saying, hey, Jesus, over here, I'm going to work my tail off for you. I'm working hard. Do you see what I'm doing? 
And that doesn't always work out that great when you work for Jesus. But when you work with Jesus, you get right behind him and you say, Jesus, where do you want me to go? And then he leads you. And you stay close enough where you can hear his whispers. And you follow him as he's asking these guys to do. I remember years ago being interviewed to become the national youth director for the Assemblies of God. It would have meant, if I accepted the position, that we would move to Springfield, Missouri, to what we call affectionately the Blue Zoo, with a thousand employees there. And uh, Karen knew right away, because Missouri was attached to it, that it wasn't God's will for our lives. I didn't know it quite as soon as she did. And there were several being interviewed. I wasn't the only one. But as part of that interview, I remember saying to the interviewer, I would like to meet the general uh, superintendent. Because there were some changes that I felt that were very necessary that needed to take place for the national ministry. And I, I wanted to know that if we were going to make those changes, we'd have the backing of the guys from the top. And uh, I remember what that interviewer said to me. He said, oh, I'm sorry, that, that won't be able to happen. He, you would never get to talk to him very much. As a matter of fact, you would hardly ever get to interact with him. So in essence, if I had gone, I'd be a guy going to work for but I wouldn't get to work with. And I just decided, you know what, if I can't work with, I don't think it's going, it's going to work. The cool thing about Jesus is he doesn't call you to work for him. He calls you to work with him. Follow me. Walk with me. Let's go. And there's something that's so freeing about that because I don't have to figure it all out. I just have to follow I like dreaming a dream, but I don't like dreaming a dream near as much as I like dreaming his dream, right? And his dream is the one that that can come true, the one that he will bless, the one that he has ordained, the one that he has as a purpose for your life. And when Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, stay close. Don't just work for me, work with me. Get in step. And he'll start to show you what he wants for your life. What he wants to do with you. If you follow him, Jesus will teach you how to know him. Be like him. How to have an incredible impact on this world for him. And I I just want to add to that. We're heading into this in the next point. That anytime you start to follow Jesus and you get his dream, his dream for you will always include something about reaching the lost. It always comes around to that. It might be have purpose of discipling the found, but even that has inherently in it a focus that people would be those who reach and help others. So I guess what I'm saying by that is his dream is not that you make a lot of money and you're just a good example as a successful business person. There's nothing eternal about that unless you take that and what he gives you and apply it to something that's eternal. Because he'll use people to make money and give it to missions and ministries. But his dream always includes reaching out to those who are lost. And there'll be some element of that with what he speaks to you. When we follow him, we can have this promise. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. And then he said this to the the guys. So he he said it to them those disciples, those apostles that left their fishing boats, and he says it to us as well, I believe. 
Mark 1.17, I will show you how to fish for people. There it is. When you follow Jesus, you won't follow him long until he says, hey, my purpose has to be, happens to be reaching out to show people who my son Jesus is so that they'll come to me. When my son Aaron was just a little over two years old, I took him fishing for the first time on the Willamette River in a boat. First time he'd ever been fishing. And I had these big old night crawlers and you put them on a hook and they really wiggle. And I put a whole one on a hook and I threw it out there and evidently he did not see me bait the hook. He's sitting on my knee and I'm reeling, we're in the boat and when I bring the hook in, he sees the worm wiggling on there and he says, look dad, we caught a worm. And I chuckled, and that was, that was just a fun moment for me. He, he didn't know that I had baited that hook, and that was not really the way fishing works. The worm attracts the fish, and, we, and later we caught some fish. But here's the deal. Aaron knows how to fish now. You know why? Because we went a lot. I mean, if he hooked one, he can bring it in. Because he's been fishing, and I taught him. And Jesus says to you, I want to teach you how to fish for people. Not just to these guys. He says that to you and to me. I want you to fish for people and I will show you how to do it. Fishing for souls is similar to fishing for fish. So I'm gonna give you a few examples here. I think these are things that the, the scriptures show us. First of all, if you're gonna fish, you have to use the right, right equipment. And this Bible is your tackle box. I was on a plane uh, this past week and I met a man, probably 75, went to a mainline denominational church. And somehow we started talking about um, the Bible. I think I saw him reading an article that had spiritual um, connotations, and, uh, connotations rather, and, and <clears throat> uh, but it didn't look Christian. And so I just brought up a question and we, we started talking. And eventually he said to me, well, you know, I hear people saying all the time that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but you know, the Bible never says that about itself. Well, I know right away that the Bible does say that, right? But he's a really nice guy and I like him and I, I think you need to be careful in settings like that not to come off as a know-it-all, right? And so, though I knew right away I'd like to tell him where it says that, I waited for a bit. As a matter of fact, we talked for another half an hour and then eventually as it came around to a, a nice spot where it fit in, I said, oh, and uh, you know, when you said that earlier, it made me think of a scripture. And then uh, I said, it's in 2 Timothy, and we looked it up. And it says, all scriptures God breathed. Another version says, inspired by God, and it means the same thing in those two versions. And I read him from the passage that said, uh, inspired by God. It said the exact words he said it didn't say. And he said, wow. And he wasn't antagonistic or angry or refusing to, to see what it said. He was just open. He had a pretty good spirit. And he said, wow, it isn't that. I didn't know it said that. So why do we look at this as our boundaries and our guidebook and, and the love letter that would explain things? Because God said, I want you to understand who I am. And most of who I am and what I'm all about is in the Bible. So if you're not living with this as a major part of your life, if you're not reaching out with this showing you how to reach out, you're not going to do it well. This is where we find out everything about what we need to be doing, including becoming fishers of people. 
So we got to have the tackle box. It has all the right stuff in it. It's the Bible. And then secondly, if you're going to fish well, you need to make the presentation attractive. Have you ever seen the color and the variety of lures that's out there in these fishing stores? I mean, it is amazing. Big and small and hula skirts and all colors and neon and they all work for certain fish in certain places at certain times. You can't use the same one the same, the same way in every setting. And the people we're going to be ministering to and the people we reach out to, they've been in a plethora of circumstances. They've had hard things happen to them. They're, they're, they're angry about what, what a Christian did over here. We don't know what they need sometimes. And the thing about following Jesus closely is not only will the tackle box show you that you've you got to have that character that's right but Jesus will whisper to you what these people need to hear right now and what will work in their situation I remember years ago Candace um, was fishing with the family that's my daughter who's older now but she was um, probably three at the time and we were fishing at a lake not far from uh, a coastal city and um she had a worm on her hook and a bobber, but she was running up and down the shore with her bobber. And I went over to her and I said, honey, you can't, you can't do that. You cannot run with the worm because the fish won't bite it and you're not gonna catch anything. Well, none of us were catching anything. And my little three-year-old said, oh yeah, daddy, this'll work. They'll like it and they'll bite it. And I said, no, they won't, honey. I've fished a lot, this won't work. I had my little prescription for how it's supposed to work. And then she ran up the bank and all of a sudden her bobber just went, whoop. And a fish took it and she, we, she caught this big fish and I said, that's amazing, but that won't happen again. And she ran up and down the bank and she got another one. She's the only one who caught fish that day. Evidently those fish like Olympic swimming worms. I don't know. I've never seen that before. She seemed lucky to me. But you know, Maybe those fish had had such a boring presentation before they needed something to, to, that was a little bit more exciting in the presentation. And God knows what, what we need to make the gospel attractive to other people. The Holy Spirit will whisper a thought that maybe it's not that little prescription of the gospel that you've had, or maybe it's not the four spiritual laws. You, you know, they don't, they don't, nobody wants to be a notch on your belt. But everybody would like to have a friend who cares about them. And then when you've sat with them for a while and a moment comes where the Spirit speaks and you, you can present something that's really attractive, you'll, you'll find results that happen. Titus 2.10, you know, what, what, what makes the gospel attractive? You know, the Bible talks about our character. It talks about care and love and compassion and kindness and Titus 2.10 says, make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive in every way. I, I went to a memorial service um, some time back where I literally, literally got angry. Um, and I, I want to be careful here. But, but here were hundreds of people who needed Jesus at this memorial service. And that was the most boring service I ever saw in my life. I mean, you'd rather, you'd rather sleep than take the moments it, it, it would take to listen to what was being said in that service. And I just wanted to take that minister and shake him and say, hey, dude, they need Jesus, man. 
you got to make it more attractive than this. He's not boring. He's irresistible. Now, I don't do that on a regular basis. Most places I go, I love and I can sense the spirit of Jesus when believers gather. So I'm not that kind of person that criticizes everything. But he's real and he's alive and he'll change your life and people are hurting and their hearts are open. Let's give them the irresistible Jesus. Well, we got to make it attractive. And then, here's what I want to say. If you're going to catch fish, you have to put, get your hook in the water. <laughs> I don't think most Christians have their hook in the water. We're not looking to help people come to Jesus. Now, I can appreciate that all of you really love it when you see people respond in this service, and I think, largely, you're more responsible for that than, than I. We know Jesus draws them in but they have relationships with people and they usually show up in church with those people and those people have made the gospel attractive with their lives and that's why they say, I'm gonna hang out with this person as I'm trying to discover who God is. And so they come and they, they find Christ. And, and yet, I feel like, for the most part, we're not really trolling. We're not really open to our day involving something where the Lord is saying, I want you to speak to this person now. You know, my... Um, my sister doesn't know Jesus Christ. Did you know my mama prays almost every day for my sister to come to Jesus? And my mother prays that some loving Christian would come along and give a witness. We're supposed to be the answers to some of those prayers. They need the gospel lived out in front of them and they need to, the Bible says, how will they know unless someone tells them? And, and we have to get our, our hooks in the water. I, um, I've been fishing a couple times in my life with, with people who it wasn't really about fishing to them, it was about visiting. Look, I'm all for visiting, but let's go have a cup of coffee if we're gonna visit, Okay. Because if you talk too much and too loud when you're out fishing, and if you concentrate on one another, you're not going to catch fish. And when I go fishing, I don't always catch fish, but guess what? I want to do my best to catch fish on this trip. That's what it's mainly about to me. And I think we have to be careful because we come to church that way sometimes, and it's really about seeing our friends. It's really about connecting with one another. And I like that. I think that's cool. That's part of God's plan. But did you know every week we gather, there are people coming through those doors and it's a matter of life and death. As a matter of fact, I talked to a brother out in the lobby who just did a memorial service for a person who once attended this church that many, many years ago, 25, 30 years ago, who took his life this past week, depressed. I talked to uh, a lady and her husband this week and the lady has a ministry where she reaches out to girls who are strippers in Washington and Oregon. And they're looking for churches that are safe. And she said, if we sent one of these girls your way, do you think your church is safe? And I said, I think it's mostly safe. I, I think a lot of people understand that those girls have been hurt and wounded and they need Jesus. But I, I, I don't know if I could vouch for everybody in our church. They, some of them might get mad if they knew a stripper came. But here's the deal. Can we be like Jesus? How, how do you think he feels about that girl? If you knew her story, 
And when she comes in here, you know what? She's not going to look like a stripper. She knows she's coming to church. She's just going to be a wounded young lady who's reaching out to God. And the lady said this to me. What you need to know is some of them, they haven't been delivered out of it yet, but, but they, they're willing to go to church. And when we talk to them, we try to send them to a church and maybe even have somebody there to meet them at the door. Maybe someone connect with them and have coffee. You know, obviously a lady that would connect with them and have coffee and just start to be a person that would listen to them in their lives because they don't have anyone like that. Our brother said it earlier, but some people who walk through these doors, you don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know how hurt and how messed up they've been and you forget how hurt and messed up you were and how Jesus forgave. Do you remember Mary in the Bible? A woman of ill repute and Jesus loved her. Now, I'm not telling you there's gonna be a ton of strippers coming to this church. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying, could we be people that will love others no matter what? Can we be the kind of people that can help them come out instead of point a finger at them and say, boy, you're messed up. Who did Jesus come to save? Those who are lost. I, my prayer is that we won't be afraid to put our hook in the water. That we won't be afraid to love people. And then uh, just moving on here, I, <clears throat> another thought is about fishing is you will be disappointed when you fish at some point. Um, you'll not always be successful. And some of you have reached out and you've tried with your family members or someone else and it didn't go too well and you think, I guess I'm not very good at this and I'm not gonna try. But, but the deal is, eventually you'll have success. If you keep that hook in the water and you keep that loving spirit to make things attractive and you have that openness, God will eventually make it where, where there's success, but there'll be some disappointments. I remember years ago, uh, just a few years ago, fishing with my dad in, in the Columbia River and he had a salmon on. And he got it close to the boat and it fought hard, but when it got to the boat, all of a sudden it started darting and going crazy. It looked like a minnow out there and, you know, with a the, the quick movement and we thought, man, that's just weird. What's going on? And, and then it actually scared us. We're looking over the boat. They're about to net it. It's close and coming up. It, we thought it was a killer whale. It was so big. I, but, it, but I think it was a sea lion that weighed about 1,500 pounds and it grabbed that salmon took it in its mouth and rolled over. I mean, that thing looked as big as the boat we were in. And then it, it grabbed that salmon. That's why that thing had been darting around right at the end so much and just took off. And my dad had, now he's got a sea lion on his pole, you know. <laughs> Pastor Ray wants to fight the sea lion for the salmon. He's not giving up, right? But there's not much he can do. Zzzz. He goes, what do I do? What do I do? And he goes, I don't know, you know. I, I, I think you're going to lose it. Zzzz. Snap! And Pastor Ray, it's one of the greatest moments fishing I've ever had. Pastor Ray went like this. And he sat down and he said, I was robbed. And we just cracked up in the boat. It was just <laughs> hilarious. Mark 4, 3, listen, a farmer went out to sow a seed and he was scattering seeds. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. 
some people will say I'm in and, and then they'll, they won't follow Jesus. But we don't give up. We don't quit because, next point, if you stay at it, you'll have good days too that will be fruitful and productive. I'm not gonna tell the story, but you've heard me say it before where we went fishing with the family once and we happened to be on a lake about 30 feet. We've got it in the video where we say, you know what, I think we're gonna be successful today. And then I pan the camera over and there's a truck just spewing trout out into the lake right where we're at. And we limited out in just a short time. It was an awesome day. It was just... You'll have good days. Because I've kept my hook in the water and I try, even though, and listen, I don't, I, I no way want to be cocky. I feel like I, I should be more focused on this myself. I can do better. I want to do better. These things are all for me, just, just, just like they're for you. But because I have fished a lot, and there's a lot better fishermen in this place than me, I once caught a 350-pound sturgeon. You know why? Because I was fishing. And I caught a 32-pound salmon one time in Alaska because I had my hook in the water. And because I went to fish with people who knew what they were doing, and I learned from them. That's a good idea for all of us. I've caught hundreds of bass and hundreds of trout, and I even recently caught some yellowfin tuna. I threw up just before I did it, and now I think I know why they have yellow on those fish. But I, I, caught, I caught some fish out in the ocean because I was fishing. I've had scores of days where I went out, got cold, came back with my fingers frozen with nothing. But then there were other days where there's a good catch. I find it interesting, you know, think, thinking about, well, how, how do I, what am I supposed to do? You know, how's this work for me? I find it interesting in this text here that Peter and Andrew um, were, were always leading people to Christ, more a ministry of evangelism. If you, if you read about Andrew uh, in the Bible, you'll see that he was always bringing people to Jesus, his relatives and his friends. Look, here's Jesus, talk to him. So he was a personal evangelist. Peter, you remember on uh, the day of Pentecost, uh, uh, he spoke and 3,000 got saved. He wasn't afraid to stand up and speak to all these people. They found Jesus. and So they were kind of evangelism-oriented guys. And then in the same text, uh, there's John and James. And when Jesus comes upon them, if you look in that chapter one, by contrast, they were mending nets. Uh, they, they weren't out there gathering fish or fishing, but they were mending the nets. And, and I think for some of us, it's not this outward thing. You know, I'm kind of an outward guy and I don't have trouble speaking and evangelism. I think it's part of a gift, one of the gifts that the Lord's given. But for all of us, we have gifts. And for some of them, they're nurturing gifts. They're mending gifts. They're not the catching the fish, you know, on, on, out on the lake gifts. They're the mending the nets on the shore gifts. And, and, and those have to do with the, the caring ministries and um, that, that heartfelt practical love and I, I just think if you'll open your heart just like when he called these guys and you you look at John <clears throat> John the beloved well he when if you read the book of John it's all about love it's all about nurture and whoever you are he made you right and he'll teach you what you're supposed to do and will help you he'll help you find your place as you follow him 
And then I'm still in point two here, uh, but, but I'm, I've got this A through F uh, attachments. But, but the last thing I would say is catching fish is fun. If you decide that you're in, and okay, Jesus, I'll, 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 I'll believe what you're saying, that you want to help me become a, fish, a fisher of people, then eventually you'll, you'll realize, wow, it is an amazing thing to be involved in affecting eternity in someone's life. My son Aaron was about four years old and we were fishing on a river, the Saniam River, just outside of Salem. And I hooked into a steelhead. And he and I, four years old, we're running along the bank trying to get this thing. It was stuck out there and it, the, the line I thought it was going to break. It was attached around rocks and it shook loose. And finally we, we, brought him, we brought him in and he's flopping on the shore. It was a 31-inch steelhead. And Aaron, four years old, is jumping up and down. And he's going, this is great. And he goes, look, Dad. And he said this, wow, God is good, four years old. He didn't even know Pastor Roger at that time. I said, where did you learn that? And he said, what do you mean? We caught a fish, God's good. And I said, yeah, he is. And, and, but, but the deal is, when you make a catch, there'll be great joy. Now, we know that Jesus is the one who saves, and we just bring people to him, and, and he, he reels them in. But when we get to be a part of it, great joy will come to us, and it'll be known to others as well. Luke 2.10, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. Jesus is the good news that brings joy. And it'll be fun if you get involved with catching and fishing the way he's asked you to. Third thought today, final point. Jesus said to these guys, essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, put me ahead of everything. Everything in your lives. That was part of his call to them. Mark 1.18, and they left their nets at once and they followed him. Now he'd had some interaction with them before, but they move off the shores and they leave behind their occupation and they follow him with their lives. Jesus only had three years of public ministry. Started when he was 30, he died at 33 incredible impact and these guys were walking with him in those years they got the call with that public ministry and they started moving with him and they learned of him and they're the guys that were eyewitnesses that were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down what God had shown them that's how we get the Bible the New Testament much of it And listen what they did. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's son, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. And he called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men. So they've got a family fishing business. Must be pretty successful because they have employees as well. And in a moment, they say, sorry, Dad, but it's over. I gotta go. I have to follow Jesus. And they leave dad with his employees and they follow. Put yourself in that situation. Jesus walks up to you and says, listen, I want you to follow me and, and, and put me ahead of everything. I want you to start following me today and make me first. I want you to put me ahead of your work and your family. We see it in the New Testament this way in Luke 9. He said to another person, come follow me. 
And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus isn't saying, I don't want you to like your family. I don't want you to be into your family. Jesus is saying in these passages, I want to be first. I want to be ahead of everything else. That's the call of truly becoming a disciple. We're following him and he's first. I believe that one of the greatest deterrents to American Christians today is that they put their kids ahead of Jesus. You say, well, that shouldn't have to be a decision. It should be. It should be a decision that Jesus is ahead of your kids or your spouse. Because here's the deal. If you put them first, you'll teach them how to be selfish and think they're the center of the universe. But if you put Jesus first and you start following Jesus, guess what they learn how to do? They learn how to follow Jesus because you're following him. They learn that that's a priority in life, not them as the main priority. But here's the other thing. When you put Jesus first, he'll show you how to love your kids the very best way. You don't lose, you win. He'll show you how to lead them and guide them and teach them and nurture them in the very best way, not a self-centered way. And for your marriage, it's true that people will put their spouse ahead of Jesus as well. They'd rather please their spouse than please Jesus. Now, I, I like it when everything's working together, but Jesus must be number one. Because you won't love your spouse right if Jesus isn't first. You'll have a tendency to be selfish at times, and there'll be some arguing and some struggles that go on. And unless you're following Jesus first, you won't hear his voice when he says, humble yourself. Stop doing that. Be kind and loving. When you follow Jesus first, your marriage gets better, not worse. When you follow Jesus first, your family really kicks into high gear at being the best it can really be. And Jesus says, follow me. I want to be first ahead of everything. To follow Jesus means to make your primary objective in life knowing him and making him known. It's worth it. It's worth it when he calls you as a follower. Your life will be blessed. Your family will be blessed, but fruit will come into your life and joy will come into your life beyond what you can know with any other direction you'd take. Here's why, Mark 16, 16, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. There's some sacrifices that we make to follow Jesus. But when you look at what's on the line, eternity, that we can be involved in seeing people come to Jesus Christ and life being changed, and we can be involved in seeing people escape a destiny that is so horrible in a place called hell if they'll just turn their hearts to Christ. When you get to be a part of that, there's nothing that's more rewarding. When you and your family can follow in such a way where you get to be pulling the net in and seeing those people come to Jesus, there'll be no greater joy than to be centered around his purposes. I got a letter, actually an email from a young lady this week. It really blessed me. She said, hi, Pastor Stan. I raised my hand 
when you ask for those who want to invite Christ into our lives in church. And, and I, I edited this because it was longer, but she's, I, she said, I'm currently a college student, but I've been called to a radically changed life. She read a book by Francis Chan, Chan that blessed her incredibly. She said, I felt a change in my heart like never before, and I'm ready to give up my life for Christ. Isn't this, I mean, this is just the coolest thing to me. Then she says, I want to sell my possessions and serve a mission abroad. I'm also wondering if you can connect me with resources so that I can prepare and study the gospel of Christ, whether that be people or books that can help me. Thank you so much for your time. I can't think of a better way for us to spend our time than helping people like this know Jesus, get connected, and find his purpose for their lives. I live for stuff like this. And it brings me great joy when people realize, you say, well, I I don't know if I want to get that close to Jesus where I have to go be a missionary. The truth, honestly, he won't call you to be a missionary in a foreign field for almost all of you here. He'll call you to be a missionary at home. Some of you will be missionaries abroad, but not very many. The point is, there's nothing more exciting than giving it all and seeing what he does with your life. There's no greater adventure. There's nothing that's more fun or more productive. I don't want to act like there's no pain that can be attached to it because there's sacrifice and pain as well, but it's well worth it when you get to see the results. That man that I sat with that was thinking about his, uh, his boy coming to school here um, said some things I probably needed to hear because I, I kind of lose sight of exactly what the Lord's doing here sometimes. I tend to be just focused in the future and, and, and honestly, I, I at times think it should be better than it is. Um, and, and, and I don't know if that's good or bad. It's maybe a little of both, but, but, I, but I'm continually wanting improvement for the ministries here. This guy said, do you know I was, I was in a golf cart with you years ago when you were talking about a high school and saying that you needed a new campus and you were believing God for millions of dollars and, and I just thought, well, good luck with that. You know, he didn't, he didn't say it at the time. But uh, it, it seemed quite ambitious to him. And then he said I, he was on the campus this week. And that's here, you know, it's our church and our, uh, our high school campus as well. And he said, I couldn't believe it. I looked around and thought, I remember when people were just talking about this. And here it is. And he's watching the students and he says, he said to me, do you know, do you get it what's happened here? Do you realize the lives that are being changed and the kids that are going to change this world? Do you even know? And I said, I'm not sure I do. Tell me more. He said, I said to myself when I was on the campus, I said to myself, God, what am I not believing you for in my life? These people had faith and you did it. I want to have faith. What are you saying to me? I want to do it, God. Show me. You've inspired other people by bringing about the will of God and walking in the will of God here. Romans 1.16 says this, and I close with this verse. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. 
It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. We're not gonna be ashamed of the gospel here. We're not gonna lay down our poles and say, nope, we don't wanna fish for men. We're not gonna throw our nets in the trunk. We're gonna throw them in the water and say, God, this is what I hope you do. Say, God, use me. Use me to do your work. Teach me how to fish for people.